0: You're listening to Key Conversations for Leaders. This is episode number 37. Welcome, everybody. In today's episode, we'll be talking about finding meaning in the moment with Rebecca Fraser-Thill. We'll be discussing cultivating a culture of flow and meaning, why happiness doesn't fulfill and what does, creating positive feedback loops, and a simple question to find meaning every day and much, much more. Leadership is about vision. It's about creating a vision and sharing that vision with others in a way that inspires them to walk with you towards its fulfillment. Along the way, leaders encourage, motivate, guide, and even challenge the people to bring their best each and every day. And it's all done through conversations. That's what the show is about, better conversations for better leaders. Hey everyone and welcome to Key Conversations for Leaders. I'm your host John Ryan, and today we have a very special guest, Rebecca Fraser Thill. Rebecca is a coach, consultant, speaker, and writer. She has a master's in developmental psychology from Cornell and is a faculty member at Bates College. She's been featured in publications such as Bloomberg Business Week, Business Insider, The Oprah Magazine, and is a senior contributor at Forbes. She works with professionals around the world, helping them find more meaningful and fulfilling work and lives. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. Now, I want to start out, what is it that compelled you to make living a life that feels worthwhile the focus of your work?
1: Yeah, so most recently, and recent not being that recent, when I was a college student, I was in a liberal arts college, and I... um Felt like I had checked all the boxes of life. Like I was, I had done well through high school. I did well in college. You know, I was doing everything the way you were supposed to, and yet I was felt like I had no path forward after that. And the twenties felt very um, confusing to me in so many ways. So that's what, like, most recently made me thinking about think about how do I support students and coaching clients in building a life that feels worthwhile. But if we go a little bit further back and deeper, it's really way back in my childhood. My sister had leukemia back when I was a second grader. And that experience made me look at life in a very different way, say, wow, this is short as a second grader. Like we don't get much time. So we better figure out how to make the most of whatever this living thing is and really have a positive impact along the way, because we don't have forever. And I remember thinking that really as a young child, And then so much of my learning and work since then has been about how do you operationalize that? Like, what do you do with that information, that knowledge, and actually make something of it while still being able to pay your bills and do everything that's required in a practical sense?
0: There are a lot of concerns. Like there's the idea that comes to mind for me is like, you know, live each day like it's your last day on earth, which seems very undoable and extreme because people go, I'm going to go skydiving. I'm going to climb mountains. But then you're not taking care of that responsibility. How does that, you know, tenable nature of life and the preciousness of life, how 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 do you operationalize that? I don't know if you are still working on that or if you have some ideas. I think it's a life journey to keep working on it, right? I don't know
1: if there's ever an answer around that. But for me, I, from doing a lot of reading, a lot of working with individuals, a lot of um, tweaking in my own life, it comes down to a few different things, which is you can find the beauty in today while still planning for the future right, and still thinking about the practical nature of it all. Um, I'm a mom of two, a nine-year-old and a five-year-old, and I feel like that life experience has really helped me think about you've got to do a lot of practical matters as a parent, <laughs> um, a lot of nitty-gritty, um, which is not always going to be the things that you're like, oh, this sound, this feels very fulfilling, <laughs> right? A lot of the, the um, behaviors are not that much fun in the moment, and yet there's little glimmers of wonder and awe amongst all of this monotony and minutia that you have to do in parenting and in so much of our paid work as well. And I think one of the real tricks to all of this is being able to first recognize those moments and then figure out how to maximize those moments. So it's like an awareness, oh, this is what builds meaning in my life is when I step back and notice that this is happening. And then how Do I craft my life and my work such that I can have more of those moments throughout the day, even amongst all the monotony and minutiae?
0: Does that become even more important when we go into a situation like we're facing right now with the pandemic um, in terms of finding those moments and savoring them and really in building them into the day, as you said?
1: Absolutely. I think one thing that I've seen coming out during this pandemic is a lot of people saying about sinking into simple joys right instead of us all grinding forward in some very achievement focused way which there's nothing wrong with wanting to have goals and wanting to achieve we also have to be experiencing in the here and now that sense of impact and the sense of fulfillment which usually comes from meaning not from pleasure and if we can start to reorient towards where do i find meaning in the here and now how do i have an impact then the whole journey towards some goal is going to feel valuable rather than that sense that we sometimes or often have where we reach a goal and then there's an emptiness that follows, you know, that sense like, oh, I've been working towards this big thing that I've always wanted, whether it be a promotion or a certain degree or fill in the blank and we get it. And then we're kind of like, oh, that was fun. And now what? Um, And I think this pandemic has helped us see that there's something to be said about being right here, like being present wall moving forward at the same time. And and I love seeing that shift in a very real way. The pandemic's awful, to be clear. We can't wait for it to be over. And um, maybe we'll take a little bit more of that simple joy awareness as a culture forward with us.
0: You know, you mentioned the word being right here versus having or doing. So the be, do, have notion, it sounds like it's probably very related or tangential to the work that you do. You bring up a really good point about people working for very long periods of time. I have clients who said, I can work for three years on a goal, achieve it at nine, and by noon, I'm like, what's next? And they're trying to, what are they trying to fill at that point? Is it a distraction when you focus on the doing? Are we avoiding what's inside or what have you found to be happening? Or is it not true for everyone? I think it probably
1: is true for everyone, quite frankly. Um, and there's so many pieces to that. One is from the psychologist's point of view, we are very bad at affective forecasting. So you may have heard about that. Our, we're not good at predicting how we will feel when certain events are coming up. We always think we're gonna feel better about them than we do. Um, We also, when we look back on the event, feel better about it than we did in the moment. So we tend to predict, hey, like getting that promotion is gonna make me feel amazing. And then when we look back on it, we actually think it did make us feel amazing. But in the moment we feel kind of like, huh, this I'm still at baseline. And so we go through our whole lives feeling kind of at baseline with nothing really pushing us high. Um, And, or doing so only very temporarily. And that's because our society, it has very much what's called a hedonic focus. We're very pleasure focused. It's even built into our our whole saying of the pursuit of happiness. Happiness is fine, but happiness we never fill up on. We are never satiated. There's something called a hedonic treadmill that we keep, once we get more, we want more. So when you're looking at pleasure, you're always just, rumbling forward and feeling like I got that now I need something else I need something else and achieving is that experience versus if we soak it sink into more of a meaning focus there's a place for pleasure we don't want to get rid of pleasure but really say around what we're doing with our lives how do we find that deep sense of meaning which is the best predictor of life satisfaction and meaning comes from giving to others not just to ourselves right and feeling deeply connected a deep sense of belonging feeling like our we have a narrative we can make sense of our lives and that we really are able to even transcend ourselves throughout the day and feel like we're connected to something bigger than ourselves
0: so the hedonic treadmill and, and i think i re- i heard that from like jason silva the he studies neurology and things like that but i'm sure it's been around for, for many many years That we keep on running trying to fill that bucket that that void inside the pleasure receptors inside is there a bucket that gets filled for meaning is it always a never-ending cycle or is there a place of satiation in that sense as well
1: that's what's so amazing about the meaning approach is that yes we can be satiated there so with the eudaimonic which is more the meaning-based side of things we can actually get there we can actually start to feel like oh There satisfaction, life satisfaction, which we can probably all attest is quite different than those little pleasurable hits. So if we start to reorient our work towards how do I have that sense of meaning in what I'm doing, um, meaning isn't always going to feel good. Sometimes when we're doing really challenging things, difficult things, um, we're going to derive a lot of meaning from it, but it's not feeling pleasurable in the moment. But then we can look at those moments and say, wow, yeah, that that's where I was having my biggest impact. That's where I really f- feel fulfillment. I was creating that sense of
0: a well-lived life. Is there a connection between the difficulty of the task and the meaning we derive from it? I don't know actually if there's a direct connection between it. I know that we
1: um, meaning and pleasure don't go hand in hand. You can have both at once, and but you can also have very different experiences. But I don't know about with difficulty of task. That's a great question. There may be some literature out there on that.
0: Yeah, I was just kind of, kind of curious uh, uh, about that, because I think there's the notion that we can accomplish any what if we have a big enough why, which is connecting back to that meaning, which is a reframe around if it's difficult, that means it's worthwhile.
1: Right. I, I think there's some danger in that in some ways, because... Um, there's this little process we go, we engage in called effort justification, where if we work really, really hard at something, we then our minds try to make it look good to us. Like they say, our minds say, Oh, well, that must've been worth something. But sometimes that it really wasn't worth something. It wasn't meaningful to ourselves. We just put a lot of effort into it. So we have to be careful there. The other piece that's, uh, confound some of this is that flow matters. So you probably heard of flow where when you feel deeply engaged in your your work or whatever you're doing, time f- passes really quickly and it's usually when you are deeply challenged. So something is hard <laughs> and difficult, but it's matching your current skill set. So it's not so easy that you're like, okay, yep, walk in the park, but not so far beyond your current skill set that you can't do it. And so that's that sweet spot of difficulty does play into flow, and we know flow is a great predictor of having meaning and life
0: satisfaction. The more instances of flow you have the better better you do so so flow can be pleasurable in the moment it's not that it's easy, but it's not also so hard that it's it's impossible and And there's meaning that's derived from that. You know yes. I also want to circle back to the the notion you said because it seems like the bias you said. I can't remember the exact phrase on the effort bias that we have that we, Oh, it must've been worthwhile. But the, I'm kind of the shape that I'm getting for like the past and the future is like a you. And maybe you think about it like mm-hmm. that. Here's the flat of where I am and the future. I put positive expectations there and they arrive and they're down here, but then I look back on it and, and I can also inflate that experience as well. Is that the, so what's, and the key is not to focus on the pleasure, but the key is really to find the meaning and that will be a different curve rather than the, the U-shaped curve, is that? Absolutely, because meaning can feel fulfilling in the moment too, right? Like when we
1: actually get there to whatever the goal is um, and the goal may not be this, this um, tangible external thing that we're trying to work towards necessarily. It could be, but it would be saying, okay, I'm gonna get this promotion. Why do I want that promotion? Like I often say that to my coaching clients. They'll say to me, I wanna work towards a promotion. All well and good, but let's figure out why and let's go down a few layers of why to the deeper why because if it's all just about, well, I feel like I should, which is often the first layer of why. Well, I've been doing this job for this long so I deserve a promotion. All right, sure, let's dig into that more and let's keep going down until we start to see, oh, there's actually some of the sources of meaning that we talk about. Things like, oh, this is about belonging within your company's culture. Like you wanna be seen and valued for what you're bringing to the table through your title and through your position. All right, let's 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 focus on that because maybe we can't get you the title change yet. Um, maybe that, that external piece might not be able to be readily available and is somewhat out of your control, but how do we enhance your meaning where you are? Like that sense of belonging where you are. And what's so fascinating is when you start working on the root desires, the external one often comes along with it. Because if you're going to dig into how do I feel more deeply um, valued where I am? Well, that often means, well, what do you need to do to help them see your value, right? So it's having conversations with people throughout the organization and talking about, um, finding out how they got to where they are and talking about how you can develop as a an individual in the organization. It's increasing how many people see you and how you speak during meetings, right? It's changing all of that so you feel more valued. And guess what? When you start to feel that way, other people look at that you and say, that person deserves a promotion. So it's such a different way of going about it, such that when the title change happens, it's not. it wasn't all hinging on that. The experience leading to that title change was already the biggest
0: change of all. Well, success breeds success from an inside out perspective. And I love how you're shifting from the doing, which you can't always control where you get the promotion. But if you start from that self-esteem perspective, you know, one thing that, that that'll, it'll generate that mentality anyways. But one of the things that, that interests me of what you said, you're digging down. So imagine goal setting with you is going to be very different than like traditional, okay, well, here's the goal and let's back plan. What are the action steps? You're taking a step way back. Well, why do you want that? Well, why do you want that? When you drill down to the why, I can see, you know, belonging, uh, connection, significance, certainty. I mean, is it straight up like Maslow and, and those types of things? Or are those typically the baseline of where we're gonna find the the those needs are there?
1: Yes. Yeah, you're getting right there. That it, it does come down to the same basic categories. A lot of it's about impact. A lot of it does come back to even what I said, my root understanding that, wow, we don't have a long time and I wanna do something with this this time that I have. And when it comes all the way back down to that, when people are searching for their next step on a career, whether it a career ladder or big career change, it's really a an outward manifestation of them trying to figure out, how, how do I do the best I can do in the short time I have? Even if that wasn't necessarily top of mind when they, um, First, came up with the goal.
0: Fantastic. Is there anything that leaders, managers, supervisors can do to enhance their employees' experience of finding meaning in their work?
1: There is so much that they can do, so very much. Um, Starting with being really clear about what the purpose of the organization is and explicit about that purpose. So, building a purpose mindset, and purpose is one element of meaning. So building that purpose mindset is needs to happen at a, a full organizational level so that the individuals know both their own individual why, but also what's the organizational um, goal here. But then also belonging, we mentioned, that's one of the key four pillars of meaning, according to Emily S. Fahani Smith, who wrote a great book called The Power of Meaning. Um, and belonging comes up over and over again in the research. And that, culture organizational culture is really key to belonging right we have a lot of instances of exclusion based on demographic variables or um, which might include age for instance but also include race and you could go right down the whole list um, which really harms people's sense of the belonging and thus harms their sense of meaning so you have to have a truly inclusive culture and think about what does that mean to create that um, and be clear on the cultural values, the value system of the culture, and be explicit and keep checking in on that. Um, and then obviously, leaders can set the stage for having individual conversations with employees around what they want to be bringing to the table. What are their own strengths, um, and how do we lean into those strengths? What are their interests? Um, what what do they as individuals value? And those, one-on-one conversations are absolutely vital for building
0: meaning in employees' lives. So it sounds like having a conversation about the organization as a whole, um, challenging maybe some of the way things were done in terms of diversity and inclusiveness, um, and also having conversations in all directions around creating meaning and really what is your why, what is your purpose, creating a sense of belonging, which you said is one of the four needs of creating meaning inside of that. Are there any other conversations that you think that that need to be occurring that are that are not occurring in today's workplace as much as maybe they should?
1: It's an excellent question. I think you summed up the the really important conversations that need to be having, be have. And I think a lot of people are really struggling, especially to have the individual conversations. I think there's some band-aid approach, like, okay, let's all talk about the organizational purpose. Okay, done, check. Um, and when you actually look at what's happening between supervisors and their direct reports in terms of conversations, they're lacking majorly. And I hear that from my coaching clients all the time. Coaching clients aren't typically leaving a job because of the organization, although certainly culture can play a role, but it's often supervisor conflicts or supervisor not noticing how much they are contributing, um, not just sitting down and, having those review meetings that should be more open-ended they're more just about okay you did this you didn't do this here's another goal and my client's saying you know what i'm about more than this like why are we not talking about what i can bring to this organization and what my goals are in the future and how i see my impact evolving why we're not i'm not sure because leaders would really benefit from tapping into that energy
0: that's what it seems like, is that you're missing out on the the resources and attributes that the employees have by not having that conversation. Is one of the barriers like how to even start that? Do you have any suggestions on how to bridge that? You never talked about meaning and purpose before, and all of a sudden, it's on the agenda. Yes, I agree that one of the barriers is meaning and purpose. Those
1: terms are way too big. I actually don't use them that often because um, people find them to be overwhelming, even in my classes of psychology students, um, I say right off the bat, I'm like, okay, let's let's take it down a notch. Number one, we're not talking about the meaning of life. I have no interest in figuring out the meaning of life. That Leave that to philosophers. That's beautiful to think about, but how we create meaning in our lives, which is really a question of how do you do what you do every day and why do you do it? So don't ever bring up the words, you don't have to talk about meaning and purpose because purpose too feels like, there's this big thing out there that I have to somehow find and I get one purpose and it must be floating in the ether, which is not true either. Um, So I find those words alone problematic and instead the conversation could be framed around the elements that lead towards meaning and purpose. So things like getting clear on an an individual strengths, interests, personality, and values, that's a great starting place. So break that down reflect back to the individual where you see them being very strong. And then think about how, have conversations around how can we encourage you to do more work that is that type of thing that builds, leans into those strengths. That's a great starting point where you're actually gonna start building meaning for the person without ever talking about, hey, let's find meaning for you. Um, so, cause then they're gonna feel more impactful. Research is pretty clear that when we build on our strengths we have greater impact.
0: Those are really good frames and, and terminology to use. I think it's actually usable in an organizational manner. And it's not a philosophy class, like what is the ultimate meaning of your life? That's not necessarily the manager's role, but what is the meaning you want to create here? It sounds like it'd be engagement, you'd have increased buy-in, commitment, and fulfillment. You know, I know one of the things you you also talk about and write about is the precursors of fulfillment. I was wondering if you could actually, because we all want to be fulfilled, can you tell us like, how do we know if we're if we're getting the precursors, if we have those set up yet? Oh, it's a great question. And there's a number of them, but some of
1: the key ones we've touched upon, like, so certainly leaning into meaning instead of pl- um, pleasure is a very key one. One that we've been tiptoeing around, but it's been in there, is really create more of a craftsman mindset that things are not, we're not discoverers where we have to go find out there something um, In the world that's elusive but we rather build for ourselves we build meaning we build purpose we construct that bit by bit by bit so too do we build fulfilling jobs they don't come to us whole cloth if you find out where people actually find work that is meaningful to them they typically didn't just Leap into a role and say, Here it is. Now I have a meaningful job. That doesn't happen. It's actually through a process that we call job crafting that researchers have studied a lot, where you take your existing role and iteratively over time build it to be better and better fit for you um, on a number of different levels. So become a craftsman. Keep looking at how you tweak. You don't have to take a big giant leap in order to make actually really substantive changes. And sometimes the big leaps are very disappointing because we leap to a new job or to a new city or, and then it's like, uh uh-oh, this isn't what I thought. Well, no, because we're going to need to build it. Uh, A couple other precursors are to understand, like we were talking about, that achievement isn't about that end goal. It's about the process towards the goal and getting the most out of that. And then one of my favorite precursors is a mindset shift um, that comes from Viktor Frankl, who has an amazing book, Man Search for Meaning, that's literally an annual read for me. And I hope many of your listeners have read it. And he was in the concentration camp. He had created a whole theory of meaning before he was in the concentration camp and then further refined it and tested it afterwards. Um, And he, he has this phrase in Man's Search for Meaning where he says that we are questioned by life daily and hourly. And it's such a reframe on, instead of us asking life, like we're always saying, oh, life, what do you have for me? Or, you know, what's this work have for me? What if we're like, what is my work asking of me? What is life asking of me right now? And I find that to be extremely powerful because I can find purpose in the everyday through that right now, this is what life is asking of me. And maybe it's not always going to be the thing that I would have chosen, but I can see where I'm playing a role, a really important role in answering that question.
0: That's incredible. I, I've read uh, Man's Search for Meaning, but I, I don't recall that piece. It's been many years. And you read it yearly, so now I have a new gold standard. <laughs> so thanks for that inspiration on that one. So, and thank you for sharing those as well. You know, along the, the process, I know you coach people. A lot of times we can't see our own boxes that we put ourselves in. And we stop asking those questions. And we stop examining and looking for meaning. You know, anyone can find meaning in any job. And it's about the active intention of asking the question you just talked about and and seeking that out. How do we find, do you have any tips or recommendations for how to find like a mentor to kind of keep you going down the path rather than getting stuck in the same thing from day to day?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think mentors are so important and they're also something that um, you don't have to officially label. I think that's one of the most, the biggest misconceptions is like, I need to find the mentor with a capital M that's going to say, I am your mentor, and then we're all set. I really like and lean in Sheryl Sandberg's book where she has a whole chapter called, Are You My Mentor? And she's like, don't ask people to be your mentor. (laughs) Just start having really good conversations with them. Um, You can build mentorship. And so I'm a big believer that we have different mentors in different phases of our life. Just because you're having great conversations now doesn't mean it's forever. And what I mean by great conversations is find people Who aren't going to impose their own way of living upon you, who are going to help you see who you really are, reflect back to you what your strengths are. Like you said, you can get out of your own way, start to see yourself for what you have within you, where you light up and when you don't. You know, the person who can say, wow, you had a lot of energy around this thing we were talking about and you sounded really flat around this other thing, which obviously coaches do a lot of that for, for their clients. And so that you can start to move forward in a way that you feel feel held and validated. And that, that person will also point out when you're going off track, when you're you're making choices that don't match with what you've been espousing all along. So I think mentors are all around us, the possibility of mentors. And, and I find a lot of my clients are looking for somebody who's going to be an official capacity mentor. And I then I'll say, what about this person that you talk about talking to all the time? Sounds like a mentor role. You've already got that person. So now keep that going. And part of keeping that going is don't just meet with them once in a while and talk with them. But Also, if they give advice or you ask them for advice, go and put it into practice and furthermore, report back when you do and report back explicitly and concretely about how because that's the reciprocality of a relationship. So often mentors, mentees can try to just take, take, take. And the give is in giving back that information to say, yeah, what you said to me right here made an impact on me. I went and did X. And here's what I'm experiencing now. That is the best gift you could give someone in a mentoring role. And as someone who has been a college professor for 17 years and worked with a lot of people, I can say how rare it is that you get that type of feedback um, later on. So it comes, but it's not, people often say, oh, I didn't tell you five years ago that I did X, Y, and Z. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, that's great. It's a great thing to go back and loop back to that person.
0: Wow. I, I love both of those comments. One, lower the bar about what has to happen before they become a mentor, and then also giving them that affirmation and thanking them and having that appreciation to kind of close the loop and continue and feed back into that, that relationship, which is what conversations do. They're a they're give and take. Now, you know, part of what we do at Key Conversations for Leaders, is, you know, my hypothesis is that conversations are the key. They are the key to growing ourselves and growing other people do you mind sharing, you know, is there any, any conversations that stand out for you as having a significant impact on you and, and where you are now and your, your mission?
1: Yeah, I think one really fascinating thing is when I reflect on key conversations I've had, um, many of them have been with individuals who, A, probably don't know it was so key for me, which speaks to the feedback loop. But one reason they don't is that it's a lot of people who weren't in an official capacity role with me. Some of them were random conversations where an individual is able to play this an amazing role of letting me see myself and where I was going. And one example of that is when I was at Cornell um, for grad school, It was I had gone straight out of undergrad. It was not a good fit for me. Cue back to the person who was checking the boxes, who was feeling lost, who said, well, then let's go to the Ivy League, because maybe if I check that box, then it'll all feel great. So there I was, quite miserable um, and And so I went to a career counselor on campus for graduate students and told her everything and was like, I don't know how to finish, what to do, finish up the doctorate, where I'm going to go. what." And um, she actually just reflected back to me. It was one of the first people who just reflected back, here's what I'm hearing. (laughs) Here's what I'm hearing you say. And then she eventually paused and said, all right, so my job is to retain you at this institution. She's like, that is my job. So I'm supposed to tell you, it's all right, you're going to be fine, buck up, get this doctorate done, you're going to be great. She's like, but what I'm hearing you say is, this isn't the moment for you to be in grad school. You're not ready to know what you want out of this doctorate. And and I was like, oh, sigh of relief, validation, somebody saw what had been churning for months, if not years at that point. And it gave me permission to walk away, which was a huge moment huge turning point I never saw her again it was a Mm. one-time conversation and um and I reflect on it frequently that she did me a real service of going outside of what her official role was to actually see me as a person
0: I love that that's so powerful it's the little conversations that sometimes that little pebble can go in a completely different direction so that's so awesome that she had the courage to do that awesome and, and thank you for being willing to share. I want to also uh, thank you so much for being here, but I also want to find out what is the best way for you know our listeners, our audience to connect with you and, and find out more about your work and to help them find more meaning and purpose and all the other things we've talked about.
1: Absolutely. So my website's probably the best hub for everything, which um, it's Rebecca F. T, so you don't have to write out the Fraser Thill because that's really um lengthy. So RebeccaFT.com and on Forbes, you can also search me out and I have a, a lot of articles on Forbes careers about meaningful work um, and, and how
0: we build more purpose into what we're doing every day. Excellent. I'll put all of that in the show notes as well as a direct link. Again, Rebecca, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Until next time, develop yourself, empower others and lead by example. Thanks for listening to Key Conversations for Leaders with your host, John Ryan. If you enjoyed the show, please let us know. Give us a rating or write a review. And if you'd like to connect with me and other like-minded leaders, I invite you to join our Facebook group called Develop, Empower, and Lead, where I deliver free live training every week. If you go to developempowerlead.com, it will redirect you right there. Hope to see you there soon.